Welcome back to the program. This has been an amazing week for sailing, for Oracle Team USA, for its crew, and for Larry Ellison, one of the world's richest men and the man behind Oracle Team USA. In many ways, Larry Ellison is the true manifestation of what creative destruction and what Silicon Valley is all about. Dreams, passion, vision, innovation, and the ability to execute on all of them. Many successful entrepreneurs possess some measure of these qualities. But often the purpose in the playing field is small, an app, a piece of software, a new design, all things of real value. But Larry Ellison would take all of this and play on a much grander scale. He wasn't happy to just nudge the world. He wanted to change it, to shift it on its axis, just a bit. Yesterday's victory was the culmination of that. It's a story that's powerful and complex and involved people like Norbert Braun and Jimmy Spithill, who would share and complement and expand on Ellison's vision and passion. It's a story told with equal passion and vision by my guest, Julian Guthrie. Julian Guthrie is a journalist with the San Francisco Chronicle. She's won numerous awards. Her feature writing and enterprise reporting have been nominated numerous times for the Pulitzer Prize. And it is my pleasure to welcome her here today to talk about her book, The Billionaire and the Mechanic, how Larry Ellison and a car mechanic teamed up to win sailing's greatest race, the America's Cup, Julian Guthrie, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me on. It's uh, it's a pretty exciting time. It's an amazing time. And in many ways, yesterday was a kind of coda, a kind of concluding chapter in some respects to everything that you wrote about in The Billionaire and the Mechanic. Well, it was a hard struggle. You know, the, the America's Cup is far more complex in terms of winning it uh, than anyone would dream, than anyone would imagine and certainly, when I started reporting my book, um, which came out just in time for the America's Cup, you know, I was not uh, aware of just how complex it is. You have the best in technology. You have the best in sailing. You have the best in – it's a material science race. Um, you know, it's innovation after innovation. But then you have, you know, three years of planning and getting ready for this event, and you've got to have it together every single step of the way for it to come to the, you know, together on the water in these all-important days as it did. And then you have this incredible drama of what uh, some of us were lucky enough to to behold, you know, this, this amazing comeback. And I know these guys really well. You know, I, I admire the Kiwis as well, but I know the Oracle team very well, and I knew Larry Ellison's vision and I know Jimmy Spithill and his backstory and all of the great human drama behind this is, you know, really, really drew me in. And, you know, Larry's vision was something that, um, you know, it was a, in, the, in the words of, you know, his late great best friend Steve Jobs, he's a think different type and he's an iconoclast. He's, you know, one who is um, trying to uh, come up with something entirely new and it was not embraced until recently. You know, full of naysayers, full of cynics, skeptics, a lot of people attacking him for going after Larry for uh, for this vision, calling the boats too fast, you know, too dangerous, too expensive. And in the end, you know, this think different type of guy using that Apple phrase, um, you know, the crazies, the, you know, the ones who dream big, you know, he made it come to life. He and this incredible team, and he would give credit to the team. Um, so it's just, it's, it's been a remarkable, it was a remarkable story to tell of how they got to bring the cup to America, and now it's just an incredible spectacle to behold and to be a part of as a 
as a writer, you know, both on the inside and as someone who um, has been observing it uh, somewhat from, you know, as a, from the journalist's eye, but to see it all come together yesterday was something I'll just, I'll never forget. You know, it's a story that does not come along very often, mm. and I feel really um, fortunate to be a part of it, and I'll be writing a, a, a behind-the-scenes story of, of how this comeback occurred for the paperback of my book. Um, so mm-hmm. more reporting ahead, but it's been a great ride. In many ways, one of the things that made Ellison's vision so dramatic is that he was doing this not just in the world of technology where we expect that kind of vision, but he was engaging in creative destruction in an area of sport that had been very conservative and very staid and very much the same for so long. You're absolutely right. You know, even until, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, I was getting, as I've gone around and talked about the book and talked with sailing, um, different in different sailing communities, I've heard from a lot of people who, you know, traditionalists who say, you know, the monoholes were the way to go. You know, that these sailboats don't even, these AC-72 catamarans, you know, hydrofoiling, flying above the water, they don't even resemble sailboats. You know, this is no good. They've taken it too far. He's ruined the sport. You know, I've, I said to many, many journalists who interviewed me um, and colleagues, I said, just wait. Just wait. This game isn't over. It's barely just beginning. And, you know, but there, there were traditionalists, and I'm sure there still are. But I think it's won over a new, an entirely new crowd. Maybe, the, maybe a sports fan who wasn't a sailing fan and is now... Uh, a sailing fan as well, but also it's hit the mainstream. You know, I've heard from more and more people who were never sailors who think this is a really cool spectacle. I mean, you get these guys out there, the sailors, the Jimmy Spithills and crew, and they look like superheroes, you know, in their protective vests and helmets and oxygen canisters, and they're, you know, they're going 50 miles an hour uh, on the beautiful, you know, natural amphitheater of San Francisco Bay, and just that alone, you know, it's beautiful to behold. So, but I think it's won over people. I know it has. You know, I've seen, I've seen the tide turn. You talk about these boats flying through the water. You talk about the story with Jimmy Spithill that, in fact, he learned how to fly as a way to better understand how these boats work. And hasn't that come in handy? I mean, really. So the boat that really set the precedent for these boats, um, the AC-72s that that we saw in this amazing America's Cup, which ended yesterday. Um, you know, really the, the, the precedent for that, this boat, was the Primaran. It was called USA-17. Larry Ellison called it his black pterodactyl. It was definitely a predator on the water. So that was just a beast of a boat. And um, that was the, it had the largest wing sail ever built for air or for sea, 230 feet tall, two tall ones standing up to fit under the Golden Gate Bridge. Now that boat was, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty, it was a pretty amazing boat. Again, you know, you're setting, you're making history. The largest wing ever built for air or for sea for that trimaran, which won the America's Cup for Team Oracle uh, in 2010. So, you know, then you get to this America's Cup and you want a boat that's imposing enough you know, that's going to look good on television and that's going to say the America's Cup and it's going to look good, you know, when you're standing on the shoreline as uh, some one million people did 
watch these um, these races in San Francisco, and you're going to say, wow, that is, you know, whether you know anything about sailing at all, you're going to say that is pretty cool. People were really taken by the hydrofoiling, by the lifting of these boats, you know, seven-ton boats out of the water. Uh, people, you know, were even, you know, my seven-year-old son thinks that that's pretty phenomenal to see. One of the other things that is so remarkable is that, Ellison didn't come to this easily, that he lost the America's Cup twice before winning in 2010. And one of my favorite quotes is when after he lost the second time and somebody said, is this worth $100 million? And he said, well, it's not worth $100 million to lose. I know it. That's one of my favorite lines, too. It's a great one. Yeah, you know, after he lost in 2007, you know, people have this image of Larry Ellison as this, you know, vanquishing hero, winner takes all no travails, and it's very different that, you know, the story of Larry Ellison that I wrote, and the reality is very different. You know, this is a guy who learns his best lessons from his worst mistakes, and, you know, he made a lot of mistakes in the 2003 America's Cup, his first bid, the 2007 America's Cup. When he comes out of that, um, you know, and is called a chump, and people are questioning what he's doing, and the reporter asks, you know, as you referenced, is it worth $100 million to win the America's Cup? And he said, I don't know, I've never won, but it's certainly not worth $100 million to lose the America's Cup. And he ha- he had to think about, do I want to get back in this for the third time? You know, this is a lot of money, but more importantly, it's a lot of time. And, um, you know, he said he can make the money back, but he would never get that time back. And he's not a quitter. As he said, he's not a quitter when he's ahead, and he's not a quitter when he's behind. He's kind of an obsessive guy, put it mildly. And he figured out a winning formula for um, the 2010 uh, America's Cup. And that was a super tough one, you know. So it was full of ups and downs and full of heartbreak, and, but ultimately full of learning, uh, again, learning from your mistakes, which certainly – as applied to this America's Cup, you know, to come back as they did, you know, what are the problems with this boat? What are the problems with this team? How do we reconfigure the boat? How do we reconfigure the team? How do we come back when we're facing defeat eight to one? You know, that is the story right now. And that story is so, it so mirrors the story that I wrote from, that goes from 1998 to 2012 leading up to this Cup. Because it's all about um, what can you learn from what went wrong, and then how do you move forward to to prevail ultimately. Going back to 1998, it was really the disaster of the Sydney to Hobart race that Ellison was in that really set him on the path to the America's Cup. Yeah, that's a really fascinating thing. You know, Larry Ellison told me he has two trophies, and one is that he's actually kept. It means something to him you know, emotionally. Obviously, it's not the, the price of the medal. Um, but one is the Sydney to Hobart uh, victory, and that was because of what it brought to his life. You know, he he and uh, the sailors in that race, at that time, it was the worst maritime disaster in uh, Australian history, and he was aboard Sayonara, his maxi yacht, and some of the same people who remain with him today the, on the boat building side were on that boat. And they nearly lost their lives in a hurricane, sailing in the hurricane. They ended up first in that race, but, you know, it taught him about the impermanence of all things. It reminded him of that and how fragile life is. And it also, on a more practical level, he thought, I got to get out, you know, from, get away from the open ocean racing and move toward around the buoys. So 
it was a very pivotal uh, time in his life and one that, you know, has it stays with him today. The Sydney to Hobart Trophy is on his personal yacht um, now. It's the only, it's one of the few personal mementos that's actually on display because of what it, what, what it brought to his life. Talk a little bit about Norbert Braun, the mechanic in this story, and what he tells us about Larry Ellison, as well as what he tells us about himself as somebody willing to take on the yachting establishment. So those are great questions. Norbert is just a wonderful uh, character, a wonderful human being. He's one of these seemingly ordinary guys who does something extraordinary. He had been newly named Commodore of the Golden Gate Yacht Club, Blue Collar Boating Club down on San Francisco's waterfront, Learned, lo and behold, just great, this is in 2001, that the, that the um, yacht club was about to go bankrupt, was about to close its door. He feared he had been named the Commodore of this sinking ship. He reaches out to Larry Ellison, and uh, once Larry Ellison, his talks had fallen off with the better-known St. Francis, and he ignores the naysayers, Norbert, who say, hey, you're crazy, buddy. You know, there's no way that Larry Ellison's team is going to partner with the Little Golden Gate Yacht Club. Uh, but he made it happen. And, you know, and, and Norbert is Commodore today. He remains Commodore today. And so his little club, the little engine that could, is the sixth trustee of the America's Cup and obviously held on to it. So what he says about Larry Ellison is, you know, he, I think he, um, he's inspired by Larry, but interestingly, Larry is very uh, grounded by Norbert. Larry grew up in the south side of Chicago, um, you know, lower middle class. Uh, the small business owners like Norbert. Norbert owns a radiator repair shop in San Francisco. Just those people, you know, it was just that type, that small business owner, successful, working hard, making a good living, immigrant success story also, um, who inspired Larry. You know, Larry looked up to when he was a kid and as a youth. And he and Norbert, you know, the first time they met, they shook hands, they sized each other up, and Larry said he felt like he was going back into the, you know, into the into the old West where you could look somebody in the eye and a deal was made. And, you know, it was not complicated. And they just had this connection and this understanding and this friendship that endures today. So I think it's a really, really neat thing. And the Blue Collar Boating Club, you know, that uh, that that uh, won out, you know, the St. Francis is the elite uh, yacht club on San Francisco's waterfront, and the cup went right past their door. Of course, they benefited from the America's Cup being here. But, you know, the cup still belongs to the little Golden Gate Yacht Club. And Norbert, you know, it's it just, it, it's part of, you know, it fits into so beautifully what Larry Ellison was trying to do with this America's Cup, in which nobody believed, uh, and that was to democratize it. And, you know, while the boats, the teams, all of that is still very expensive, this was free for people to watch. You know, hundreds of thousands of people were able to see these races for free for the first time in the 162-year history of the America's Cup. You could stand on the shoreline, you could see these boats, you could walk down to the park, you could meet the sailors, you know, it was uh, so. I think the, the the part of Norbert, the part of the Little Golden Gate Yacht Club, um, you know, it fits into this idea of what Larry wanted, which was to make this more appealing, more understandable, cooler, sexier to the mainstream. 
what happened with Larry and the St. Francis Yacht Club? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, there are differing opinions of what happened. And I have a, a scene in my book that's very, very colorful about what went down in a certain meeting. Um, but, you know, what it, what it came to, Larry has one story, and then the, the St. Francis folks have a slightly different story. But uh, what it came down to was control, and, you know, they came together, they met. Everybody thought Larry Ellison was going to be sponsored by the St. Francis. For those who don't know it, uh, you can't just sail in the America's Cup. You have to be, you have to have your team sponsored by a yacht club. Um, so it's, it's one of the rules of this old regatta. So everybody thought Larry was going to partner with the St. Francis Yacht Club. He was a member there. He had sailed for the St. Francis and the talks. Uh, quickly dissolved in this meeting where Larry felt he was being talked down to by the members of the St. Francis, although the St. Francis members saying that Larry was asking too much and his requests were uh, impossible to meet. But it came down to, again, it came down to control. So the St. Francis was in a position where they thought they could um, have control. Larry Ellison, being Larry Ellison, is in a position to have control. After all, it was going to be his money. Nobody else was putting money into it, and he, you know, he also felt he wanted to, if he won the America's Cup, you know, this first time, that would have been in 2003, sponsored by the St. Francis, he wanted the right to defend. And the St. Francis, according to Larry, wasn't going to give him that uh, right. They were going to hold trials. So he could have gone off, spent $100 million, won the America's Cup, brought it back, and his concern, Larry's concern, was that then the St. Francis could have chosen someone else, actually, to be the defending team. So it was a breakdown between these two. It was a fantastic, improbable marriage between Larry Ellison and the Yacht Club just down the road, the Golden Gate, and its radiator repairman Commodore. So it all worked out just great. I don't know if it was... was- Norbert Braun that said, or, or that you wrote, that they were really the same. He had a radiator shop, and Larry Ellison had a computer shop. I know, isn't that isn't that great? I mean, you know, a difference in a few zeros there. But uh, when they met, you know, Larry did say, you know, we aren't that different after all. You run, as you said, you run a um, a radiator shop, and I run a computer shop. And you know, these guys, you know, they just get along great, and they are more similar interestingly enough, then they are dissimilar. You know, they have they have a lot in common. Um, deep down, they do. You know, lifestyle, obviously. <laughs> Larry lived very, very large. But, um, you know, he came from very humble beginnings, and he had a dream. You know, Norbert had his own, you know, dream, which he grabbed. He grabbed his own slice of the American dream, and that's one of the, one of the parts of the story that I really, really love. What is your sense of where Larry Ellison and all of this goes from here? He won the cup. He's defended the cup. What next? Well, I think that, um, you know, the good thing is that it's staying here. Um, I think it will, if I'm guessing, and I don't have confirmation of this, you know, it will stay in San Francisco. It was a pretty spectacular event, and it's going to reap maybe around $900 million uh, for the city of San Francisco. The total number will not be tabulated until November, I'm told, but it's still a bonanza uh, major, you know, for the city. 
that will be felt actually for years to come. Because if you watch the, the, the television coverage, which was really spectacular, and you had all this new augmented reality to show the TV, which is a property that Larry owns now, um, the whole technology for, for around the sailing coverage. So, you know, he's got the infrastructure here. Um, they know how to run it here. They know what mistakes were made here. Um, people think the venue turned out to be just spectacular, San Francisco Bay. I mean, it's glorious to look at Golden Gate Bridge, Alcatraz, you know, Marin, Headlands, the East Bay, you know, the, the Bay Bridge. It's a pretty fantastic um, amphitheater to see it in. So I would imagine it will stay here, is my guess. And the idea is to bring down the cost, have a lot of competitors, and probably to stage a World Series regatta. Uh, where these boats, these teams are competing regularly over the next few years around the world where they're bringing the, the boats, um, to these, to these nice venues. Uh, so, so it continues to, you know, take hold. So it continues to draw more and more people in. They need to, you know, they want consistency in terms of their visibility. And, uh, so that's what I would imagine is going to, um, to take place. And does Ellison still have the fire in the belly after having won it twice now? I think now it's a matter of, it's not, you know, obviously it's not about winning. It's now about, he's really, uh, what's very interesting, and I've just started thinking about this, is that, you know, he loves sailing, and he's a very accomplished sailor, which is how he got into this, which also a lot of people don't know. Uh, you know, he loves sailing, he loves the sea, he loves the technology, he loves all of this coming together. I think his thrill comes from, not from the victory, although the comeback you know, had to be one of the highlights of, of this guy's life, truly. But I think it comes from hearing that somebody who wasn't a fan of the sport, wasn't a sailor, is now, you know, Considering sailing, the kid, their, or their kid is taking sailing lessons, or you know that that people who are not sailors before suddenly turned on to to the sport. You know whether it's the America Cup or whether they're just going out sailing. I think that is what really um, is exciting and rewarding for Larry Ellison right now. You know, yeah, the trophy is beautiful. The old mug herself is a gorgeous thing to behold, and um, but I think it's more. Where does this take the sport that really excites uh, Larry and will drive him, you know, forward? And he has this whole, you know, he's got Russell Coots running the team. He's got Jimmy Spidell and Ben Ainsley and this whole amazing crew. So, uh, but again, I think it's converting the um, uh, the non-sailors to the sport. Julian Guthrie, the book is The Billionaire and the Mechanic. A great story, Julian. I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your great questions. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. 